Hi, and welcome to Dope Shit My Therapist Says, a therapeutic wellness and lifestyle podcast providing relatable conversations and encourage our listeners to strive for self-growth, self-reflection, and self-love. We are two therapists who just want to keep it real. We provide a safe and honest space for those who need an extra dose of connection with a no-bullshit filter. We're your hosts, Ryan Gaddy and Lauren Factor, and we welcome you to our space. We're so happy to have you here. Now let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Dope Shit My Therapist Says. Today is our season finale of season two, and we have on April Pride, CEO and founder of Like Minds, a brand for women seeking recreational psychedelic healing. April developed the high guide to market products and brands she creates, including of Like Minds. Prior to her current roles, April founded Vanderpop in 2015. This women-focused cannabis lifestyle brand was acquired by Canopy Growth in 2018. She also co-created and served as the inaugural host up until 2021. We will be back in August for season three, so don't forget to follow us on Instagram so you know when season three is going to start, and follow us at Dope SHT Therapy Pod. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the episode. Well, welcome, April. We're so excited to have you on. We were just chatting about how uh, we're on a plant medicine conversation high, in quotes high. So we're excited to talk to you today about um, more plant medicine options. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Um, I always like to be on other people's podcasts. I have my own podcast. And so it's nice just to show up and be a guest. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is April Pride, and I have a company called Of Like Minds, and we create brands for women who choose unorthodox, who have uh, chosen unorthodox ways to manage their well-being, and that means that they have opted for treatment with um, substances that induce altered states of consciousness and THC, uh, which is uh, the active cannabinoid in cannabis is certainly considered psychoactive, right? So I include that in the list of other substances such as psilocybin, ketamine, MDMA, LSD, and there's novel compounds too that are coming out. I'm based in Seattle, Washington, which is North America's largest decriminalized city. And I started last year a psilocybin company underground and have brought it above ground and I'm launching in the decrim framework. So working with um, people within the city of Seattle to make sure that education is leading everything that we're doing. And the way that it works is we have events, you attend the events, they're educational events, and we have psilocybin there that we can gift for a donation, which um, we're also about to launch a website that has the, the product that's for sale are guides to help you. And then you, if you live in Seattle, you can come and pick up your psilocybin. And so the guide is intended to go hand in hand with the dosage. And yeah, so that's what we're up to. That's amazing. I hope that other cities will follow. Hopefully Los Angeles becomes one of them because I know that this has been like a huge conversation with women in my women's group. People are always looking for ketamine assisted uh, therapists or support and other alternative um ways to combat mental health challenges. So that's really cool. Congratulations on launching that. Um, that's huge. Thank you. Yeah. Our hope is to, is to, is to bring this to other decriminalized municipalities and partner with cultivators in those cities. Amazing. 
what has your personal journey been like with any mental health challenges or just mental health in general? Uh, I was diagnosed, I'm 47 and I was diagnosed at 38 with ADHD. So I, um, I lived an entire life without that diagnosis. And I don't know if you've had patients um, who have also been diagnosed late in life with ADHD, but um, I find it interesting when I talk to younger girls in particular who were diagnosed in elementary school and their aversion to taking medicine and my, um, and my experiences that I'm so grateful to have the medication, but I don't know what I would have felt like, you know, if I didn't have a whole life to go, oh, that's probably a good idea. Right. So, um, so I had a lot of mental health challenges, I guess. Right. And I didn't know that, but they were related to, to not being diagnosed, um, everything from emotional regulation to <laughs> looking at you, you're like, yes, emotional regulation. And then after, um, I think the most tragic thing was not knowing that after the birth of my children, that I was experiencing postpartum that was related to my ADHD. And, and even though I'm going to have a 16 year old and a 13 year old, so it's not that we weren't talking about postpartum, but, um, just think maybe it was a different conversation or it wasn't as readily available people that we could contact. Like there's, um, here in Seattle, there was a restaurant and it was started because the, the husband started it because his wife had committed suicide after the birth of their son and he needed to create, she was missing community. She was postpartum. And like, that was the only story that I had in my back pocket. I didn't even think that I would have postpartum because I didn't have, there was, I didn't know that I would be a person that was um, likely to, and my mom didn't. So that was unfortunate. And then just the way that I've conducted my businesses, I'm a serial creative entrepreneur. I've launched like nine businesses. So I'm classic ADHD person. I've also exited three of them. So that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, just, I would have run my businesses completely differently if I'd understand that I'm not like other CEOs. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm learning more and more about just late ADHD diagnosis, I think it's becoming more widely talked about, especially for women specifically, because as usual, women's diagnoses look so different than men, like autism, any neurodivergency really is going to look a lot different than male diagnoses. And, you know, most of the criteria for diagnosis is based off of men and not women. So yeah, there's so many women that are getting diagnosed uh, later in life. I actually, my therapist is looking at an ADHD diagnosis for me very recently and I'm in my thirties. So, and that had never come up in my entire life until very recently. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think, you know, those of us that have um, impulse control issues, you know, that, that means that substances are going to be something that we have to keep an eye on. And I found cannabis after my drinking got out of hand after the birth of my first son, because of the postpartum is partially, I think part of it. So, um, that's when I developed a relationship with cannabis and then psilocybin was something that I had more of a personal um, connection to trying to cut down on my cannabis consumption after the pandemic. Yeah. And then ketamine to help me get through my divorce. So yeah, I've got a personal story with each of these for better or worse. Yeah. I'm curious to hear like your beginning origins with psilocybin and ketamine because they are such a taboo thing. And they're, I mean, the research is coming out a lot more quickly now than it ever has before on the benefits of it and utilizing it in microdosing and all that, which we'll get into. But I'm just really curious to hear like your origins with it. 
like you, I was particularly about ketamine, super reticent to, to recommend this to anyone in the audience and wasn't even really going to bring it up until I felt that I had a better understanding of some of all of the ketamine clinics that were popping up. I think it was between like 2017 and 2020, it went from 150 to 700 ketamine clinics. It's something crazy. Yeah. Significant amount of growth. And then add on to that during the pandemic with the telehealth regulations being lifted, you could have, like I did have ketamine just delivered straight to your home and low dose lozenges, but you know, made it a lot easier lot less expensive than going to a clinic too. And a fraction of the price to receive the only FDA approved ketamine treatment, which is Spravato. So um, I talked to friends, I talked to friends that I really, really trusted either they worked in psychedelics, they had a relationship with psychedelics. And one of them said very clearly to me, she's like, I would have a bag of cocaine in my apartment. No problem. It would last a month. No, no problem at all. Ketamine wouldn't last a minute. Like it's just... And everyone I talk to that, you know, is not afraid to say yes to street drugs or the rest of it. They're cool with everything. Ketamine is their favorite. And they say it and they talk about it in a way that a person like me that walks the line in terms of, you know, cannabis use disorder, substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder, right? I just have to be careful. It just didn't seem like something I should go near. And I certainly wasn't going to recommend that people go out and find this. So, um, did a lot more research. I talked to a lot more people and I just kept hearing stories about people having really good outcomes with ketamine when it was prescribed and when they were undoc when they were working with the doctor, not going to the ketamine clinic, getting the treatment and being sent home, but really handheld, like working with the two of you. So um, I did, a, and I, Around that time when I was doing the research, it started last spring. And then last summer, a telehealth company called WonderMed, ketamine telehealth company called WonderMed reached out to me. And I went through the screening on my own, not through them, just like separate. And I, I did pass the screening and basically came to the conclusion that I had functional depression after my divorce and had, um, had started seeing a therapist. And that was also, <laughs> that was um, confirmed. And so I tried ketamine and after the first treatment. I didn't consume cannabis for a month, which is the point of why I was trying ketamine. Um, I tried psilocybin. I've been microdosing and it was helping me reduce it, but I really wanted to stop it. And ketamine got me to that place. The second treatment of ketamine, I sat at my desk the next morning and worked linearly. <laughs> and I worked in a way that I hadn't in a, since I could remember. So, and what I came to find out is that ketamine works on the NMDA pathway and the AMPA pathway, and they're um, creating glutamate. And glutamate helps to repair our dendrites, our prefrontal cortex. It's like ketamine is candy for people with ADHD. It is perfect for us. And so I've talked to doctors, I'm like, what's the research being done on ADHD and ketamine? And of course, there's not yet. We'll get there though. Yeah. That's incredible. I, 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 I'm going to assume Ryan too, like we don't know a lot about this. And so it's really great to hear just like the other alternatives that are out there that will, you know, take their sweet time coming to everybody. Um, but I'm glad that you've been able to experience uh, the benefits of ketamine. Can you, can you explain a little bit more just about like what that looks like and 
I, I just feel like I'm, I'm such an, a newbie at, at um, yeah. street drugs because I was always, t- other than cannabis, I was always terrified of just taking anything else to alter my state. But of course, like this is regulated and it's, um, you know, in smaller doses. So just any, any information on ketamine that you would find beneficial for our listeners to know. Yeah. So it is, um, ketamine is used. It has been approved for use as an analgesic and an, and, 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 and in anesthesia since 1972. And it's been used off label by, um, by psychiatrists to treat depression and OCD in that same amount of time. I don't know, maybe right away since the eighties, I'm not quite sure, but in 2018, Johnson or Janssen pharmaceuticals, which is a subsidiary of Johnson and Johnson submitted for approval for the first FDA approved ketamine drug. So it's also a nasal spray. So you, the, um, yeah, the form factor is it's a nasal spray, whereas all the other types of ketamine, it's either injected, um, uh, intramuscular, intramuscular or an IV, or as I mentioned, what I did, which was a low dose lozenge. And that was sent to my home. The other modalities, including the nasal spray are higher doses. So you definitely want to be in a clinic. And even though I'm at, I was at home, I have six doses actually that I'm about to start and not my second um, round since last fall. Um, when I like the first time I didn't do this the second time I tried it, but the first time I tried to stand up and go to the bathroom and you feel like you have sea legs, it's hard to, it's hard to walk. So you definitely, when I hear that people are taking it recreationally and going to clubs, I'm very confused how they do that. I couldn't even stand up, much less dance for the night. So, um, so yeah, there are different ways to um, different modalities that it can be um, prescribed. And the low dose lozenges are the most affordable. They're about a hundred dollars per treatment. Whereas if you have an um, an IV treatment, that's anywhere from between four and seven hundred dollars. So that was definitely a factor in my decision. And I know after having done the low dose lozenges, I could really benefit from a higher dose because if you're a person that's been basically in fight or flight, you know, as people with ADHD can kind of like stay in, there's a lot of repair to dendrites that needs to be done. And the higher doses can help you um, more quickly get to a baseline that is easier to maintain outside of the state of a depression, essentially. So in a nutshell, I guess that's, those are your options. Yeah. And Spravato is the only one that's covered by insurance and it's about $3,000 a month. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a little bit about ketamine assisted therapy and treatments, um, mostly from a girl I follow on Instagram. She was living in New York. She's in Portland now, and she was doing it for PTSD and depression. Um, And it was like in, you know, sets. So she went in for a while, you know, did her treatment um, and they had therapists and doctors there and then they, she had to go back for you. How long did the benefits typically last? Cause I, I've read the research through like John Hopkins, who was doing a lot of like psilocybin and ketamine MDMA research in for mental health. And some people say like anywhere between like nine to 18 months before they have to do not have to, but choose to do another round of treatment. Yeah. Ketamine is, ketamine is, mm, ketamine is different. It could be 
12 to 18 months for some people. Um, for me, the way that the way that WonderMed, which was who I was using, but as of May 1st, they don't ship lozenges anymore. So I don't know. It'll be different. I don't know how people will get their ketamine. Um, you take you take it once a week. I've also, I had a guest on my show who did intramuscular and she went twice a week for a month. So it just depends on really what they're trying to treat, what your history is. Um, but I, I was supposed to do it once a week, the first round. And I didn't, I did it. I did it. I had such great results the first time. I just didn't do it again. I'm like, oh, okay. They say sometimes you need to do a maintenance. So I'll just wait until I need to do my maintenance where really you should hit it and keep doing it for that month and keep the neuroplasticity fresh and really commit during that round of treatment to making good decisions like sleeping, eating well, exercising, spending time in nature, journaling, spending time with people who make you laugh, right? Like all the things that are going to be like positive food for your mental state, essentially just keep doing those. And so it's funny, I've had this round of six lozenges in my refrigerator for probably six weeks. And I look at my schedule and I'm like, every week, can I commit to being my best self? And it's funny how I just, I won't, I won't commit to it. I guess I could I'm like, no, I've got these deadlines. I'm going to be up late. Is that a good idea? Whereas I think, you know, I could, and if I were, they have doctors I could call, but I haven't. Right. So this is sort of the issue that we're faced with is I don't have my therapist on hand right now. Can't afford her, <laughs> frankly. Um, so maybe I can't afford not to have her is probably how I should look at it. But really, I just feel like if I would do the ketamine, I would probably be able to get in front of some of my worries about deadlines and that kind of thing. I would be able to handle it better. So I've got this like constant tension of like, is it the right time or it has to be, I need it to be the right time. So, so truly, I mean, it sounds like a, a supplemental to all the other things that, you know, you want to work on when you're having, you know, mental health struggles. So taking ketamine while alongside talking with a therapist and also doing all of the other positive coping skills to, um, yeah. you know, help and support what you're going through. I think, Yes. I think the most significant thing about ketamine is that we'll cut through suicidal ideation immediately, okay. immediate, immediately. Yeah. If you go and you have a ketamine treatment and you're in the middle of that, you will come out of it. And that, um, that feeling, the feelings of suicide will go, they can go away for up to, um, three days to three weeks. It just sort of depends, but as you all know, getting in there and intervening in those thoughts, that's everything. So yeah, the um, FDA approved it for a major depressive disorder and um, treatment resistant depression, just as an FYI. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, the first people who are consistently suicidal to be able to like break away from that. I mean, huge because treatment resistant depression is horrible. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I can. Yeah. The people I've talked to that have had it, you know, like they're just willing to try anything to feel better because they've gone through so many treatments and all of the different medications and, you know, different therapies and in hospital, out of hospital, and they're still just feeling like nothing works. So Hmm. I think that's why this research is so important is to break some of the taboos around utilizing these types of medications 
um, these types of drugs. Yeah, exactly. Ways to use them appropriately that, you know, don't lead to addiction, but lead to health and wellness. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'd like to switch over to the psilocybin just so we can kind of see the other side of it and learn a little bit about that and then try to compare them. Sure. Um, Yeah. So would you be able to tell us a little bit about psilocybin? The street name is mushrooms, right? That's right. Magic mushrooms. (laughs) Yeah. So psilocybin is a, um, it works on the serotonin pathway. So it's something like I take Wellbutrin, which is an SNRI and I take, um, one of the things that ketamine has helped me do is reduce my Adderall prescription in half, which is, a, I think that's a huge deal. I will also credit psilocybin with that, right? Because um, psilocybin, it works on the serotonin pathway. It gives you energy in, in high doses and low doses. But for me, lower doses, it actually helps me have more energy, higher doses, I get tired. Um, so when I'm microdosing, if I take a microdose, um, And to explain what a microdose is, it's about a 20th of what a standard dose might be. So a standard dose of psilocybin is one and a half to three and a half grams. And I'm talking about taking a a dose that's about 80 milligrams to 200 milligrams, depending on just sort of like you. (laughs) Um, And the same, the same neuroplasticity, um, outcomes, positive outcomes is seen whether you're taking 30 milligrams or you're taking a gram and a half. So I think that's important to know. You don't have to take more um, uh, psilocybin in order to have the neuroplastic effects of new neural pathways and retraining your brain in terms of behavior. So, um, and it's been, it's being diagnosed or sorry, it's being used primarily for people that have PTSD, depression, um, OCD, and trauma, trauma-based conditions. Um, and I guess I would say that it feels to me like it's the most accessible of all of the psychedelics people. And I have found that people are more open to this than they are cannabis. I'm really trying to wrap my mind around that. That's been fascinating talking to women and men about cannabis since 2015. And in the last couple of years talking about psilocybin, I don't know if it's because cannabis kind of like, uh, I don't know, led the way and people are just feeling a little bit more open to all of these alternatives. But yeah, um, one of the reasons I started my company is because so many people are open to psilocybin. They just didn't know where to get it. They didn't have a trusted source. So that's been pretty shocking to me because my earlier relationship with psilocybin was very much like I was handed a plastic bag and like to the moon, you know, so (laughs) for better or worse. Um, So, um, but I think that most people are finding help with psilocybin in microdose amounts. One, it, and it's either helping them to stop drinking. I'm hearing that a lot. Um, And it's also helping them reduce other medications, whether it's antidepressants, um, a lot of people are trying to not take their antidepressants, but this is um, this is a topic that is really, really important to discuss, obviously, with your whoever's prescribing to you, because you can't just stop and then take psilocybin, which a lot of people I talk to try. Um, so I don't recommend that. If you don't mind sharing, what have been some of the uh, benefits that you've seen in in consuming psilocybin? 
Well, for me at the microdose level, like I said, reducing my stimulant medication, I've only been taking it since for eight years, but my guess is I probably can't be on it forever. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, so I'm just trying to slowly decrease my prescription in case I get to that point where some of the side effects are just not tolerable anymore. Um, and then for higher doses, when I, I moved out of our family home in September of 2021, and the first week I took two grams of, um, psilocybin and just really committed to experiencing all of the grief and the pain as it was happening and not trying to distract myself through, you know, other drugs or people or whatever the case may be. And so I would take two grams once a quarter and I really, I knew that the first year was going to be hard. And after a year and a half, I just feel so much better because I really dealt with it in real time and it wasn't easy. I was very honest about it, but I think that taking psilocybin and allowing myself to cry and making myself cry. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if there, if I would have been able to do it any other way, I probably would have just had to distract myself. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what the process looks like, how it feels to be on it? Because I, I know that I've heard like it just a lot of psychedelics kind of give you this access to your emotions and like the core of what's going on so that you're able to really move through it and process it when your brain typically when something hard's happening, it wants to shut everything down and protect you. And this is kind of like opening the door instead. Yeah. I think you described it so perfectly, right? Like, okay. The big thing that psychedelics allow us to do is to shut down our default mode network, our inner voice, our ego, that is a result of everything that we've been told growing up, our conditioning. You should be like this. You are like this. You will do, you know, all of that, that gets quieted. And in that moment, you're open to new possibilities including a new way of looking at old things. And so what I've been trained to do when I'm in an altered state is when anything comes up to look at it, it's called cultivating the witness, to look at it like I'm an active observer of my own feelings and my own life. And really you approach any of the emotions or thoughts that come up with curiosity, like, hmm, that's interesting that I feel that way or that I act that way. I wonder why that is. Rather than obviously we are emotionally attached to how we act and who we are, rather than, you know, getting caught back up in a loop of, oh, I am this way. I'll always be this way. It's never going to end. That is so true. If you can, if you can allow yourself to really be in this altered state and to be curious about who you are and why you are that way, when the trip is over, when you're no longer having visual or auditory hallucinations, when, um, when you're able to walk to the bathroom again, you know, all of that, there is a compassion that you in small ways and big ways, sometimes it happens immediately for people. Sometimes it happens over a couple of trips or a few trips. You just develop a compassion for yourself and the people in your life. Um, I think in a way that is, um, it's almost like I want, I once heard uh, Bob Marley describe when he's high on cannabis, it's like you're overlooking, you're standing over something and you're looking over at the whole situation. That's exactly how I would describe how you feel on psilocybin or ketamine 
or LSD when you're taking in all of these big thoughts about yourself or the world, you know, you just are sort of like, it's more like you're philosophical about it than emotional. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. And just reminds me of all my friends who have consumed psychedelics and how they've shared of just like exactly the way that you shared it, you know, kind of being outside of yourself and looking in. And I think that's really beautiful. You know, I try to do that with my clients as a therapist, but I can only do so much and only go so far. So how cool would it be to have, you know, in tandem, these amazing drugs, you know, and, and therapy and just feel like, honestly, like unstoppable and that you're on top of the world. Yes. And you can carry that. You can carry that feeling about yourself, that very positive feeling about yourself into your non-altered state, right? Once you feel that way about yourself and you see the good things about yourself or the people that you love, it's hard to erase those things, right? The bad stuff, it's funny, we can like, we can get stuck on, you know, or we can just like choose to forget about, but a good thing, you really, you really get stuck on it and you don't go back. You're like, okay, I, this is going to be positive moving forward. I can just feel it. And that's the difference. You feel it in your body, not just you're telling yourself something. Yeah, no, I agree. I actually think like I did a training, I was telling Lauren this on using psychedelics in therapy and just the processes of it is just so amazing. And I think that just like getting to that core quicker, like, because like Lauren's saying, we can only help so much in the sense that like, we're not into somebody's body and brain to really experience what it's like. We can only kind of take the way that they're explaining it to us and try to support that way. But if they're really able to access all of that at its truest form, and we're able to help them process through that, yeah, long lasting support and changing those narratives and processes and traumas is, I mean, that's the goal really to be kind of rehealed or on that journey. I talked a little bit about working specifically with women when it comes to psilocybin and ketamine. What are some of the benefits specifically for women when it comes to using these? Well, we're learning so, I shouldn't say we have the potential to learn so much, but as you brought up earlier in the conversation, we don't have a lot of women specific, female born specific medical research when it comes to these things. And we know, and we're, we are learning more and more the effect of hormones on how these different substances interact with our bodies, depending on where we are in our cycle. And yeah, there's a book that came out this week, June 6th, called The Psilocybin Handbook for Women. It's written by a woman named Jennifer Cheshik. And in that book, she interviewed a woman who said that we should be timing our psilocybin trips with our ovulatory cycle. So we should actually do it when we're ovulating because our body is in its peak state. It's optimized. It's ready to like receive and have a, you know, become pregnant. And that is when you should trip because you are in your, like you're your highest self. That's amazing. <laughs> and you should definitely not do it when you are on your period or right after your period. Don't, don't do that. I never time my trips in that way, but I've had some pretty significantly awful trips because I started my period the next day. And I also know that all of these, whether it's MDMA, ketamine, psilocybin, all of them can bring on your cycle sooner than you expected to. Yeah. So something about the serotonin pathway. I don't know. <laughs> um, I should probably know more about that. 
But um, in terms of um, how it's helping women, I think there's just, there's so much, um, there's so much, well, women's experiences are very individual. So my experience as a woman and yours, totally different for a variety of reasons. But I do think that there is a shared shame in anything that is other, (laughs) whether it's like we have had, um, we've had sexual trauma and we're uncertain if our friends have, or if they'll understand, or our partner will understand. And um, sometimes the only way to to move through that is just to pretend like it didn't happen. And psychedelics, everything that we just said earlier, to be able to come into that space and experience that trauma in a safe way, right? As a person that's looking at it and you're with a trip sitter or you're with your um, your facilitator, and you know that you can come back into this experience and be and and approach it from a position of power. That's what I've really heard from a lot of women is that they're able to revisit their trauma from a safe space and to be able to reconcile it and start to move toward healing more quickly. And then just like in relationships, you know, as we evolve the ages, right? You hit forty, which is all the conditioning that you had earlier in your life and all the decisions that you made to become an adult that's like this, but then you become an adult and you're like, oh, wait, I want it to be like this. And so there's there's a midlife crisis, right? That happens for all of us. Um, Maybe not all of us, but a a good amount of people. And so psilocybin has been something that I know a lot of women have used either to recommit themselves to a partnership or to a career or to reframe their... um, their role as mother, as their kids also become different ages and need them for different things, or maybe need them less. And a lot of their identity is in, in taking care of their kids. So um, psilocybin in particular is being used for um, uh, miscarriage and the grief that comes with losing a child. Yeah. That was introduced me to me through the book. And I thought that was very significant. So yeah, a variety of a variety of things. There are more women that um, are suffering in a significant number, like the numbers up by 25% in the last 10 years of women with alcohol use disorder. And so psilocybin is something that's helping women drink less or holds the promise to help them drink less. Right. So, yeah. That's incredible. I am really interested in this book because it sounds like there's some really good tips and just like knowledge and and things for for women and you know with everything going on politically too I feel like we're just in such a space where we need to find other alternatives that work for us being you know female and being women and we we go through so much or have the potential to go through so much that you know other people wouldn't understand and so if you know psilocybin is going to help with trauma and grief of of things that are very personal like a miscarriage like that's incredible. I know. And I mean, we didn't, Jennifer and I didn't talk about this, but also abortion, you know, with the dialogue and the conversation around women who have had abortion and how isolated they feel and how much grief and shame they carry for the rest of their life because of this decision, which was also made so that they could have a future that they felt was, you know, they're compromised either way. And, you know, and so to be able to use psilocybin to move forward. So you can be your best self for your current children, your current life, you know, I think is also very promising. 
Beautiful. Yeah, I'm excited to look into the book as well because I think Lauren and I both, as we learn more about this, you know, we want to be able to include this research into our perspectives as therapists and just as individuals as well. So, you know, if we do get to a place where our states are, you know, approved for this type of treatment, like I think that would be an awesome an awesome next job to have to be part of like ketamine or psilocybin assisted therapy, like such a cool experience to be with somebody during that process, you know, very connecting and eye-opening. Yeah. yeah. I talked to so many therapists who are excited to bring this into their practice, you know, because I think I'm guessing you work with people for years and years and years, and then you meet someone that has a treatment like this one time. They're like, yeah, it was 10 years of therapy in one session. Right. And if you can just get to that place and then you can move from there, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it makes everyone feel like they're moving, they're, they're stepping into their future more quickly, I guess, or the person that they see themselves are or could be. Yeah. Yeah. Especially trauma. I mean, I think that treating trauma is so, so difficult. It is so ingrained in our brains chemistry and makeup and these drugs really work through that you know um and so i think that's the hugest part is there's not just a antidepressant that's going to heal trauma or you know i mean even therapy like it does the best that it can but i think of trauma just like it's in the the crevices of your brain so deep sometimes that you know not a lot of things can reach it so if there's something that can help people really address that and start to heal and move forward then i think it's worth it's worth the research and ability to um, access. Yeah, totally. And another thing too, um, Mm -hmm. I work with uh, clients diagnosed with ADHD who are on medication and with the Adderall shortage and other medicine shortages. One client this week was just like, he he was just so stressed because he'd Mm -hmm. been on medication for years and he luckily was able to eventually get more of his medication. But the the stress and pressure of not knowing when certain things will be refilled and how to live your life without that relying on different medication. I think that like having this as an alternative, you know, well, I, I it has potential to change, change um, yeah. the world. I really think, I mean, just like hearing you speak and having a lot of knowledge on this, which we really appreciate. It's, it's just like opened my eyes to like, a whole alternative world that I hope comes quicker. So we have this opportunity to share it with others and others can, you know, benefit from um, these drugs. It is, it's coming fast. It's happening so much faster than cannabis did in terms of moving toward federal legalization or being rescheduled. And what's leading it is palliative care, end of life care, doctors who really focus on end of life care and the, um, and the positive aspects of psilocybin and end of life care. And of course, also um, vets and the research that um, with vets, particularly vets with MDMA um, and PTSD, but yeah. So, and, you know, I feel, I'm happy that research institutions and the government are recognizing that the people that we've sent off to war and who are coming back and really need need us to think in different ways in terms of how they can reintegrate are open to these alternatives because it's really work. It's working. I mean, people are having one MDMA session and they're healed from, um, yeah, from trauma, from war. And even my, one of my best friends, 
she had significant childhood trauma. She had um, had been working with, she's always been in therapy and she found out her therapist also did psychiatric or um, psychedelic assisted therapy with, he has a, a woman that he does his um, journeys with. So there's always a guy and a girl and she did one MDMA treatment. And it was like, to this, that was two years ago. And it's like, I'm always waiting for my old friend to come back and be like angry <laughs> And it's just, she's just a different human. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah Truly. Fascinating. Yeah. She, and as she came out of that, like, I love myself. That was what she, that was it. You know, it wasn't like she put pieces together and could make sense of things. It wasn't that. It was just, I love myself. I, I didn't do this to me. Right. I wouldn't do this to me. So, and yeah, it was just, it's been really, really amazing to watch her journey. So. That yeah. was really cool. Um, kind of connecting back to ketamine, what, what are the kind of key differences for people if they're looking at, you know, psilocybin or ketamine and how to choose, which would be from your research and what you've learned, which, which would be the kind of the best start for them? That is a great question. I'm so excited to answer. I actually have an answer for my question. I feel good about So ketamine, I would say if you do suffer from major depressive disorder or treatment resistant depression, or you have depression and you're not happy with the side effects of the medication or like 30% of all people, the medication's not working for you, um, then it's ketamine for sure. The other option would be to microdose psilocybin, but there's not the research to support that. People are having great success microdosing psilocybin, but the um there is not a significant difference in um placebo results versus the people that took 100 milligrams of psilocybin and it's very possible that they're having this success because of the placebo effect and we haven't been able to disprove that so i don't want to say go out and try psilocybin because there's not actual research to back that up but there's just like in cannabis, there wasn't, there's no research to prove that endometriosis can be pain can be treated with cannabis, but it can. Lots of women are are using cannabis to fight through that pain. So those are that's really what I've got to offer. Yeah. What are your hopes as far as the future with uh, different plant medicines? What do you what do you want to see happen as we move forward with research and hopefully getting to other states? Yeah. I mean, I, I named my company of like minds because I think that this doesn't happen in a vacuum. We have to share information and we have to support each other. And that comes through building community, really like not building community because it's a marketing buzzword, but like people need each other. Not everyone can, can hire a therapist. Not everyone can go and have a $600 ketamine treatment, but everyone can come together and help others make sense of their psychedelic experiences and help them integrate what came up. So my hope is that we all learn how to trip sit and we can help each other out, that we all find trusted sources for medicine and people can stay away from anything that could prove harmful for a variety of reasons. And yeah, that really the reason I got into this is because I think that psychedelics being in that altered state is a great time to learn to trust and love yourself. So that's what I really hope for everybody. Yeah. Do you have any final takeaways that you'd like to share with our listeners and obviously include where our listeners can find your, your company, your socials, anything you'd like to share? 
Yeah. I mean, I just, I can't overstress, do your due diligence and make sure if you don't understand your neurochemistry that you get and some work with somebody, figure out what's going on with you before you start trying psychedelics as a healing modality. If you have um, bipolar in your family, anyone's been diagnosed or you yourself have been diagnosed, you should not consume cannabis. You should not consume psilocybin. You should not consume any psychedelics. I know that the jury is out on that. And there is some research pointing to perhaps maybe psilocybin can be helpful for bipolar. We do not have any research that, um, that is affirming of that. So I don't, if you read that, definitely check with your doctor. That would be my, what I'd like to impart. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that piece too. It's really important. Anytime any medication or drug is used that you check in with the doctor, make sure that you're able to consume it. Where can, where can our listeners find you? Yeah. So I, um, I host a podcast called the high guide and we have a website, the high dot guide. The podcast drops every Friday. We have, um, an episode that dropped today. Um, about when I dropped my supplier of magic mushrooms because they sold me some that didn't work. <laughs> and I had to figure out, well, how that could be and why that could be. And that's what that episode is about. So um, yeah. And um, we're on Instagram at the high dot guide. My name's April pride. Yeah. Reach out to us. If you have any questions, we're happy to take your DMS. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. I was just typing so- away, making sure we have oh, making some notes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to your talk to your audience. Yeah, I appreciate being able to thank, share what I've learned. Thank you. This was a great conversation and is just filled with so much information. And, you know, when we go and we edit, I I'm editing this episode, like I'm gonna take it all in again. It's so different when I'm when I'm recording, I'm like in my recording mode and then I do editing and I'm sure Ryan feels the same way when she edits and I'm like listening and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe we talked about this. So I'll <laughs> relearn true. everything. So thank you so much nice. for for being here and and sharing mm-hmm. with us. And we can't wait to see what what happens from here. Great. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah. Thank have you. a good weekend. Bye bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you feel called to rate and review and share with the people in your life you think would like us too. For more info on this episode, check out the show notes. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at dopeshttherapypod and via email at dopeshttherapypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for more episodes.